Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 2, 1 to 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked him, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having, been warned in a, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Lord, may the words that you give, Pastor Andrew, be a reflection of you. The word become flesh. The word become flesh who dwelt among us. And may your Holy Spirit draw us closer to you as we listen, learn, and through your strength and inspiration, obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are, 2023, 
Opportunity to start a new sermon series. If you read the Friday letter this week, you know that uh, we've entitled this, ser- uh, this series Flocking to Jesus. You don't know what you think about with flocks, uh, sheep, seagulls, flamingos. Uh, what is your flock of choice? Uh, we're talking about people, uh, people who come to Jesus particularly as we look throughout the the Gospels, and it's really great that we can start on Epiphany Sunday because you see a group of people, these wise men, these magi, who are drawn to Jesus. What we observe throughout the Gospels, what we observe throughout history, is that Jesus is always drawing people to himself. He's like a magnet or a tractor beam. And and these people are of all different shapes and sizes. They're of all different colors, backgrounds, uh, socioeconomic classes. There's just so many things that, that earthly would separate these people. And yet, they have one thing in common as they're drawn to Jesus. Uh, Dick Malone dropped off uh, for me in my office just a bunch of testimonies from Christianity Today. We've got a a boxer, we've got uh, Kira Fontana, a young woman who's a vocal coach. Here's Robert Wilton, he's a a stuntman. I've got a guy who's uh, in in Vietnam suffering from PTSD. All of these are just testimonies, testimony after testimony of people that have been drawn to Jesus. And what we want to do over the next uh, several weeks is we want to look at the encounters that people have with Jesus in the Gospels. We want to ask ourselves questions like, who were these people? What characterized them? What were they looking for? Uh, What did they find when they came to Jesus? How did Jesus interact with them? Uh, What did he reveal in them? What did he touch in them? Why is it that they were either devoted to him or repelled by him uh, in some cases? What is it about Jesus uh, that is is so attractive uh, to so many different types of people? And part of my hope in this is that you see yourself. Uh, You see yourself as as one of those people that is coming to Jesus and you realize the the grace, the mercy, the truth, uh, the holiness, the justice uh, with which Jesus interacts with so many different stories. We start this morning, of course, with the wise men. And uh, it's it's a great story to start with because they were attracted to Jesus uh, from afar. Uh, these, these wise men, these magi. Now, we have to undo some of our Christmas card notions of the wise men. We have to undo the, sort of the way we've taken in a mall and the night visitors and you know all of the different sort of traditional things uh, about the wise men. Because when we read this story, uh, we, we recognize that they probably weren't there in the stable with the shepherds. You know, we're told that they come to a house and that there's an intervening time period, probably about two years uh, before they come and they bring their gifts. 
we sometimes have talked about three kings. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel afar. There, there's no indication that they were kings. In fact, they probably weren't kings. Magi uh, traditionally, biblically, are um, uh, advisors to kings, counselors. We, we meet Magi back in Egypt. They had the magicians who were the counselors to Pharaoh. We see them in Babylon, for instance, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar called his Magi. Actually, Daniel may have been a Magi of a sort, a wise man, a counselor to the king falling into that class. Or, you know, probably weren't three of them, or at least we have no way of knowing exactly how many there were. Tradition has said three, probably because of the presence of three gifts, uh, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But if I give my wife three gifts for Christmas, it doesn't make me three people. Uh, it just means that I brought three gifts. And uh, the likelihood is there was a retinue. Uh, a whole group of people that were with these wise men traveling, they would have had to have cooks, they would have had to have uh, safety patrol, they would have had to have a whole group, which is probably why they made such a stir when they came into Jerusalem. It, it wasn't that there were just three solitary people coming into Jerusalem, but there was a group coming into Jerusalem asking for a king and that got everybody's attention. So, I mean, it's okay. Go ahead and have your Christmas <laughs> cards and, and set up your, you know, we, we recognize there is a symbolism of that, but let's not make those things historical. But who were they? Who, who were these wise men? How do, we, how do we approach them? What things can we draw from them as people who were drawn to Jesus? Well, we can say several things. One, they, they were not Jewish. Uh, they, they weren't people who were raised with the Jewish scriptures. It was possible that they had some exposure to that. Uh, like I mentioned, Daniel being in Babylon, there's a good chance that these folks were from the region of Babylon. There may have been some extant uh, studies, some extant um, you know, religious beliefs or knowledge that existed in that culture that these wise men and scholars who like to study these things would have been privy to, would have been, um, would have been, would have been on the lookout for. But they were most likely uh, folks that were outside of the Jewish religion, worshipers of, of other gods. Um, they were folks that were uh, well-trained, well-respected. Uh, they were the elite of, of that day and age. Uh, we, we think of magi and we sometimes think of magic and astrology. We know that they were studiers of the stars. Uh, we, uh, in, in our day and age, we often think of that as like a pseudoscience, uh, something that is uh, you know, rather mysterious and Harry Potter-ish and all of these different things. Uh, but in those days, this, this was the wisdom of the day. It, it was the intellect. It, it, it was the, the way that you knew things. I, sure, at some point, people are going to look back at our culture and look at the things that we currently call 
science and, and, and all of these things, which we put a lot of stock in, and they're going to say, they really believe that stuff. It was just a bunch of hocus pocus and, and superstition. And so you've got to go back and you've got to think of these magi as being the ones who were using the tools of the day. And they were at the very top of those that were using the tools of the day. And it's in the midst of this that they, they see a star. They see something. I mean, it's called a star here. It may have been a, a supernatural uh, placement of a star that God did. Others have suggested that perhaps it was the conjunction of, I think it's Jupiter and Saturn, uh, that was known to happen uh, on March 29 or May 29, around that specific year. I mean, there, there are some things that they've gone back and looked at. It may have been something like that, that rose in the east that triggered this journey. Uh, but they were, they were looking. They, they were looking to understand, to grow in their understanding of the world. They were looking for, for signs. They, they were looking for enlightenment. So, so here we have a group of people who's at the very top of society that's continuing their studies, that's continuing to look to learn and to grow. And, and it's into this that God interjects uh, a sign that leads them to Jesus. Now, there, there are a lot of things that are really interesting about this. And again, just asking, who, who is it that comes to Jesus? You know, oftentimes when we talk about the, the Gospels and we talk about Jesus and, and who he has come to connect with, we, we rightly point out that Jesus was born in a manger, born in a stable. He was of lowly estate. Uh, he came to a young girl who was a virgin. He came to uh, who was poor. He came to the shepherds who were poor, lower class, out, uh, outcasts of society. But here we see something completely different. Here Jesus comes to the elite. Here Jesus comes to the educated. Here Jesus comes to uh, those who are wealthy and have means and can take this kind of journey. And, and that's encouraging to us. It's encouraging to us for a lot of reasons. Really, worldwide, I mean, we, we are in that class. Uh, the number of people that have graduated from high school and college and post-college and uh, all of those different things, we... We fall into that class as much as anything. Uh, we don't want for food. We, we have a certain amount of wealth that we bring into uh, the presence of Jesus. And so there's an encouragement here for us uh, that, that the message of the gospel is for us. One of the other things that I think is, is really interesting is just how God speaks in various ways. Uh, you know, oftentimes we get locked into, you know, how is it that people come into the kingdom of God? Well, they come into God through, uh, through somebody evangelizing to them. We, they come into uh, the kingdom of God by being introduced to the word of God and, and through direct study and all of these different things. 
But God is not limited in the ways that he can uh, work in somebody's life. You know, here he works through, let's just say it's a conjunction of planets. Uh, a conjunction of planets in the sky and some pagan people not necessarily looking for Jesus. Look at that and say, oh, we should really go and look for he who was born king of the Jews. Uh, God uses their language to speak to them. Uh, I was just reading this week about just the issue of miracles around the world. And, you know, I don't know how you uh, currently think or feel about, you know, the ability of God to work supernaturally and healings and, and different types of things. You know, there's, uh, we, we have our, our allergies to that in, in certain brands of uh, Christianity and, and faith healings and, and all of that. Uh, but, but God is not limited. And so we hear testimonies of uh, people in, in various parts of the world, oftentimes not the enlightened West, uh, where, where they see God work you know, through healing this person or that person. And, and they, that has like drawn from them this interest in, in seeking after Jesus and finding him and, and, and putting, uh, bringing some devotion to him and beginning to understand what it's like to walk with him. God is not limited. Here, here's how one writer puts this. Actually, this is Dan Doriani. He was with us uh, last year. He, he just talks about the unusualness of, of God calling these people in this way. The Bible forbids astrology. In fact, if you look throughout the Bible, this is the only place where magi are spoken of positively. And, you know, we got the magi in Egypt, we got the magi in Babylon, they're always negative. There are several uh, places in Jeremiah and others where it says, you know, do not be terrified by signs in the sky, the nations are terrified by them. Isaiah mocks stargazers who make predictions month by month but cannot save themselves. Yet, here, God reverses field and chooses to speak to stargazers by a star. Stars had significance for these men. God descended to the Magi's level to communicate with them. Stars got their attention, so God used a star. To this day, God speaks in language that gets the attention of people. The Magi were pagans serving a pagan king. Yet God spoke to them, for this is what he does. Christianity is not a religion for good people. It's not a religion for those who, who know the right ways and the right means. But rather, it is for sinners who listen when God calls. So that's who they are. That's what they were looking for. They, they had some longings to, to know and to understand the world that God had placed them in. And they were looking in the stars and they, coincidentally, of course not, providentially, of course, uh, they, they saw the star of the one who was born king of the Jews. So the next thing I want to explore with you is what, what did it call from them? Uh, and, and really, in some senses, if you want the outline for this morning, look at verse 2. You know, in verse 2, we see the, the Magi come to Herod and they say, We saw his star uh, arise and we 
came and we worshiped him. So, so the we, we've looked at that, and we've looked at the seeing of the star, but then they, they came. So don't just read over that like, oh yeah, they got there. I mean, this was a big deal for them to take this journey. Uh, we know it was a journey of many months. Uh, and so it took some preparation for them to get ready to go on this journey. It's not the same to journey in those days. We usually see camels with the wise men. I don't know if they had camels, but I know they didn't have Audis. Uh, I know they didn't have, uh, you know, the... the um, you know, the Tahoe or whatever to pack up and, and to bring on this journey. It, they had to get the animals. They had, to, they had to get a guard to travel with that much wealth. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, they would have had to be constantly on guard for bandits and robbers and all of those different things. They had to eat along the way. There were no McDonald's to stop at. Uh, they had to bring their food. So you just think about all the preparation that it took for them to do this. And then they left their communities. They, they left their homes. They left uh, their families behind in order to make this journey for something that was still speculative on their part. Like, they didn't know. You know, there were these rumors. Some have said that when Julius Caesar died, there was a, uh, a constellation in the sky, and so there was this belief then that these are the types of things that pointed to rulers. So, you know, whatever was going on in those particular times, they had this sense, they had the speculation that something was happening, but, but they didn't know. It's not like they could phone ahead. It's not like they sent an email. I mean, you just have to realize this was a very different time. And, and for them to undergo this journey with their own personal uncertainty, uh, but with a hope, uh, with a, you know, some sort of compilation, you know, compelling them to, to move forward it's really interesting to think about. And then you think about, you know, what happened like when they got to Jerusalem. It's understandable that they went to Jerusalem. They didn't go to Bethlehem right away. They didn't know. So one that was born king of the Jews will go to the capital of, the, of, of Israel, will go to their headquarters. And so they went to Jerusalem. They started asking around. And just thinking about their journey, thinking about our own faith journeys, when we, when we follow Jesus, when we're drawn to him, when we engage him, you know, people around us are very different. Uh, the, you know, Herod has a particular reaction. As we see going throughout this, Herod was, uh, we know historically, was coming to the end of his life. It, it seems like he was sick. He had done a lot of good things when he was a, a younger king, famine relief and several other things. But toward the end, he, he got sick, he got paranoid, he had his Jewish wife killed and uh, kids and all of these things. And, and you begin to see then his acting out this, this paranoia. He doesn't want anything that would threaten his kingship. And even the way the wise men put it, you know, who, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Where is he who has this right 
to be on the throne. Herod was sort of uh, half Judean, half Idumean. He didn't necessarily have the right to any type of throne. So, so he was threatened and, and goes through in a very violent way. We're going to hear the song for Rachel a little bit later and just thinking about that reaction to Jesus. And then there's the, the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, they're really confounding because they've got the scriptures. They, they know. They actually come forward with the right answers. The, the Magi are asking him, you know, where are we going to find this one who was born king of the Jews? They're like, right here. You know, Micah 5. It's, it's you know, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are small, out of you shall arise a ruler. Uh, they've got all the right answers, but they do nothing. I mean, they, they have an indication now via the lips of the Magi that the star has arisen. You know, they, they know Numbers 24. They, they, should, they know Isaiah 60. They've got all of these things, but they can't connect the dots. And, and they just have an incredible apathy. Uh, they just go home. And again, it just helps us put all of this in relief as we think about the various people. You've got the Magi who are inexorably drawn, though they are pagans, though they are outsiders, though they're coming from afar, though it's great cost to them, great danger, great uncertainty. You've got Herod who is afraid and angry and lashing out, and you've got these Jewish leaders who should have everything ready to be able to respond, but they seemingly just don't care. So, you know, as we think about this, what we think about the journey and we begin to ask ourselves the question, we see the star. I mean, we, we all, you know, metaphorically, we, we see the star. We, we have the scriptures. We know the story. We're here. We're saying, Jesus, this one born in the manger, he is the star. He is the glory of the Father made manifest. What does our journey look like? What, 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 are, we, what are we doing? What is our, our reaction? You know, like, like the wise men, are we, are we doing everything that we can? You know, in the face of doubt, uncertainty, in the face of what others' reactions are. I think about this, you know, here are the intellectual, the elite. And some of the hardest places to follow Christ uh, right now is in the intellectual elite worlds, in the universities, in, in the colleges, you know, in medicine. Uh, you believe that? Like that, that's so unscientific or that's, that's so backwards. That's so, how can you actually believe those old fables? But there's a journey there that, that, that God is inviting us on to this one who is the glory of God made manifest, revealed. We all have this journey, and that's part of what we're asking you to reflect on this morning. You know, we oftentimes on Epiphany will have a single testimony, but we thought this year, you know, we all have a testimony. And so as we connect some of the longings in our hearts, which oftentimes go in bad directions, you know, we have a longing for intimacy rather than going towards God, 
You know, we dig for ourselves broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so we look for it in our human relationships. We look for it in pornography or all of these other different things. You know, how do our longings bring us to the Savior? How, how do our longings and, and, and what we see in the scriptures, how do they, you know, reveal to us, shine a light, you know, epiphanus? How do they make manifest uh, the reality of who God is? Because that's what we see finally for these wise men. You know, what, what was their response or what is the result that we see here? It's striking because they, they worship. Three times in this text, it's really overarching. They said, we, we saw a star and we have come to worship him. You know, Herod then repeats that. He says, I, I too would like to go worship him. Of course, we know that Herod's uh, designs of his heart were very differently, were very different. And, and then again, when they actually come to Bethlehem, about five miles away from Jerusalem, when they come there to the house, they've moved out of the stable now, they're, they're living in a house, this is obviously before the flight to Egypt, uh, when they come to the house, they bow down and they worship him. Three things I, I, I want to point out to you just about their result. One is this, they, they bring their gifts. You know, as we come to Jesus, Jesus draws from us the very things that he has given to us. You know, in the case of these folks, it, it was their wealth. Uh, they brought gold, frankincense, myrrh. Sometimes people try to connect these with gold for a king, you know, uh, frankincense for a priest uh, used in the worship of the temple, myrrh for his death. Maybe. Uh, clearly the wise men had no concept of this. Like there, there wasn't any of their intention in bringing these gifts. I mean, they, they were just bringing expensive stuff uh, that was fit for somebody who they believed was in a station higher than they were. Uh, now, are all of those things true? Absolutely. And, and it's one of the things that's so striking is that they didn't know. They didn't know that this was a king unlike any other king. They didn't know that Jesus was born to die and, and that myrrh would be part of his story as he would be wrapped in these clothes and laid in a grave. They didn't know that he would come bursting out of the tomb. They didn't know all of the glory that was wrapped up in this little one. One of the things that's so interesting about these wise men and their adoration, uh, as opposed to really most anybody else in the scriptures or, or in the history of the world, is how little they knew. Like Jesus hadn't done any miracles at that point. He hadn't taught anything. He hadn't even opened his mouth. He was just a helpless little babe uh, in a teenage girl's arms. And yet by the Holy Spirit's uh, work in their heart, they could see that he was worthy of worship. J.C. Ryle comments on it this way. He says... Um, we see, we read of no greater faith than this in the entirety of the scriptures. They believed Christ when they had never seen him. They believed him when the scribes and the Pharisees were unbelieving. They believed in him when they saw just a little infant on Mary's knee 
and they worshipped him as king. This was the crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, and needing a mother's care like any of ourselves. And yet, when they saw the infant, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world. And they knelt down and worshipped. It's really an amazing picture for us who have all of the revelation. You know, if you want to be wise, Paul says, where is the wise of the sage, 1 Corinthians? He says, they're the ones that, that see the cross. You know, look at the cross of Christ. There is the wisdom of the world. There is the power that comes together. It's in, in the complete ministry of Christ that started when he was born, that culminated when he went through death, the grave, when he was uh, resurrected and is now seated on the right hand of the Father. We have all of that. We have all of that, and we're invited to come and worship. And part of what this says is, okay, here are these people that were drawn to Jesus. What does it mean for us? Because we, we face some of the same impracticality as the wise men. In, in so many ways, it was impractical for them to come. We, we talked about the difficulties of the journey, the obstacles, the costs, all of these different things. There was an impracticality about worshiping a baby on a teenage mother's knee in a house in Bethlehem, some little out-of-the-way city, not in the seats of power. But this child had grabbed hold of their heart. And I want to end with this. Uh, I was reading this week, and uh, these are uh, testimonies of a man by the name of Clarence Jordan. He died in 1969. He was the starter of a community. I know everything about this. I, I don't know, you know that we would espouse everything that went on in this community back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. They were sort of uh, the starters of Habitat for Humanity. They just had a very rare radical view of living out uh, the Christian life. They were persecuted by the government, called communists, all these different things. Maybe they were, who knows. Uh, but here's what he says, and I, I think that this is true, and it fits in with where we are this morning. You can't put Christianity into practice. Christianity isn't a system that you can make work. As desperately as it's needed in this poor, broken world, it's not a philosophy of life to be tried, nor is it a social or ethical ideal which has tantalized humankind with the possibility of attaining it. Christianity is not a system that you work, but it's a person who works you. You don't get it. He gets you. Jesus says, I am the life. Now, life isn't something you try for a while and you exchange for something else. If it doesn't prove practical, you either have it or you didn't. And if your Christianity is the kind that has to be worked, then you don't have the real thing. The Magi weren't going for something that was practical and that worked for them. 
They were coming to a person of Jesus. And when they looked long and deeply into his face, uh, the compulsion of love fell upon them and they found themselves vowing that they would follow him. It's interesting, you know, one of the other aftermaths of this is they have a dream, they're warned in a dream to go back another way. They, they, they listen to that, they're sensitive to the, the leading of the Lord, they, they follow him, they had a direction that they had come by, but the Lord was able to say, no, don't go back that way, and they said, yes. Because they had met Jesus and they realized that he was true, that he was right, that he was worthy of worship. Even though they, they, they'd never seen a miracle, never so much heard him utter a syllable. Christianity is more than a scheme to be tried. Christianity, Christ himself, is the guiding star. Christians are those who locate and direct themselves by Christ just as a navigator takes bearings from a fixed star. What Jesus taught and accomplished among us has given us knowledge of our God. His word and way are more dependable than any compass, any North Star, any GPS. And whenever we navigate by him, we can be sure that we will arrive in the right place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because Christianity calls for all sorts of crazy things. You know, forgiveness without limits. Love of your enemies, daily dying to ambition, conceit. These are things that the world sees as impractical. Giving away your money. These things don't work. <laughs> you can't manipulate them. But the invitation from this baby in the manger, from the one who all of the glory of heaven, you know, whether there was a star or not, we know that the brightness of the Father's glory resides in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one that is, is illuminating the dark places in our lives. He is illuminating the dark places in our world. And by getting our eyes on Jesus... That's when we get our bearings. That's when we are no longer lost. Because when we look at him, we know where and to whom we are going. I'd like to invite you to just take a couple of minutes and, and write your own epiphany testimony. You, you can just sit with it if you want in your head, or you can take some notes on your bulletin, or... I don't know if Chad's still around with those pieces of paper, but uh, write it down on a piece of paper. We're not going to ask for it. Nobody's grading this. Uh, but, but God still makes himself visible. He makes himself manifest. How is he doing that for you today? Take a couple of minutes of silence just as reflection.
Lord Jesus, you who are indeed the, the bright and the morning star, the star from Jacob, the one in whom all the glory of heaven has come to rest, in your light we see light. We pray that you would illumine our darkness, that you would make us aware of the path that you are leading us on, make us aware of the journey that is ahead, that you would help us to see that it's, it's you bending to us, speaking in a language that we can understand that is leading us. Lord, we pray that you would become our all in all, that all that we have, all that we've been given, uh, we would bring, and, and like the wise men, we would lay it at your feet, not because of, of what we can gain from you or because even uh, we have been awed by your, your presence or your power, but simply because you are the one who is worthy of worship. And, and we know that that is what we were made for. We were made to worship you. And so, Lord, thank you for this journey, for inviting us. I pray for those who maybe are a little bit cold today, like the religious leaders, or even those who are angry, like Herod. Lord, I, I pray that you would be working in their hearts and that you would make them soft. For we know, and we're going to learn throughout the course of this series, that there's not one type of person that you call. Uh, you call surprising people from surprising places, in surprising ways, and you surprise them with a glory and a grace that we never could have asked or imagined. Meet us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The light shines.